Tattoos. Can you wear piercings? Can you work in a bar? Can you work on Sunday? We are going to look at Romans chapter 14, probably one of the most controversial texts in your Bible. We're going to look at 36 verses, 36 verses in this section on how to be evangelistic, not evangelistic, but evangelistic, how to flex, how to bend in non-disputable areas. How's that? And neutral areas. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 14. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I want to make sure you've got one sitting in front of you. Even if you have one at home and you've forgotten it, that's okay. Raise your hand. Take this one. It's yours to keep. Write notes in it. Because this will be one of those messages that are going to raise some serious questions. And here at Telos, what we do is kind of unique. During the service, you can text questions. If you don't know how to text, you're like me. I'm, I'm uh, technology challenged. Get somebody who's got a cell phone next to you and text a question. You can even go in the back to uh, Chris Rohr and John Washam back there and tell them the question that you have. So any question that you have on this text or the message, and I'll bet you we got a bunch of them this morning, you text it. That's what you have to do right there. TBC colon... And then followed by your question. There's the number. So you can text during the service. You can text a question. Again, don't be cracking on my clothes or something like that. Just make sure it pertains to the message. Okay? And then what we'll do, the last 10 or 15 minutes, we're going to answer it. And again, like Larry said, what we're going to do is the first or the last Sunday of every month, we do all church prayer. So I'm going to quit, hopefully, pray to Jesus, at quarter till 12 in the last 15 minutes. We'll get together in circles, and we will pray. We'll pray for this country. We'll pray for the president. We'll pray for our schools, our children, and our churches. We did it um, last month, and we had, what did we have, Kathy? About 65 people stayed here and prayed. It was awesome. So you get in a circle if you feel like praying out loud, and if you can do that, fine. And if not, you just sit and pray silently. But uh, a praying church is a powerful church. There's no power in the pulpit unless there's prayer in the pews, Okay? So Romans chapter 14, and we're going to go all the way, 14, 1, all the way to 15, 13. 15, 13. You know, I thought about coming up here. I've got this piece of baggage. Anybody have some luggage that's like 30 years old? I got, yeah, I'm getting Janet. I've got some luggage that I thought about bringing up here, but it's just falling apart so much. But I won't get rid of it because I've had that baggage now for almost 20, 30 years A lot of us, when we come to church, we have that baggage that we just can't get rid of. We've had it like a set of Samsonite since you were a kid. And every one of us in here brings baggage, emotional baggage, cultural baggage, traditional baggage that was ingrained in you as you grew up. Me, I grew up as Catholic, so I've got all kinds of Catholic baggage that's been ingrained on me. As far as days in which I can eat meat and I can't eat meat, days in which I can work and I cannot work, what I'm supposed to wear when I go to church, how I'm supposed to go to church, sacraments, everything else. Every one of us, if you grew up at a church, even if you don't or you didn't, you've got this baggage, you've got this stuff that you're bringing in. And what Paul's going to talk about here is the art of being flexible, the art of flexing and caring more about someone else next to you than your own opinions. This is a powerful text. And what he's going to talk about here is unity. 
despite these disputable areas, these areas in which we have unrevealed truth in. Now, let me say this up front, and I'm going to say it throughout the message so you understand the difference between revealed and unrevealed truth. Revealed truth, we don't have an opinion on. I'm not supposed to have sex before I'm married. That's an undisputable truth, okay? That it doesn't matter what your opinion is on it. It's revealed truth by God, and we stick to it. I can't cheat on my wife. That's a revealed truth. I can't steal. That's a revealed truth. So as far as those revealed truths go, we have no opinion. You follow me? But as far as whether I can dance or not, or how long my hair has to be, or whether I can work out on the Sabbath, or I can work on the Sabbath, or keep my business open, whether I wear a beard, birth control, you don't think we can start a a pretty good fight with that one? So these are areas in which the Bible has no revealed truth on, and we all have our opinions, or we all have this cultural, traditional mindset. And Paul's basically going to say, keep it to yourself. These opinions, whatever your convictions are, that's fine for you, but you can't superimpose them on the person next to you because ain't nobody going to like you, and you're going to cause divisions in the body. Are you ready? Three ways I'm going to divide this up. Three principles. You can write this down. I'm going to give you everything up front, what I'm going to teach you, and then I'm going to take you through it. We're going to unpack the text verse by verse. Three principles on how to be evangelistic. Three principles on how to flex. Three principles on how to be unified but not uniformed. Right? You understand what I'm saying? We're to be unified in Christ and for a common purpose to bring Him glory, to bring Him honor and praise. And we're not to be uniform. We're all not supposed to look the same, talk the same, have the same haircut, dress the same, so on and so forth. Unity, not uniformity. Three principles, verses 1 through 12... Verses 1 through 12, write down, live and let live. Verses 1 through 12, live and let live, parentheses, chill. Okay? Verses 1 through 12, live and let live. Verses 13 through 23, verses 13 through 23, principle number two, love over liberty. Love over liberty. Or you can put limit your freedom. So love over liberty, limit your freedom, verses 13 through 23. And the last principle is to look like Christ. Verses 1 through 11, chapter 15. 15, 1 through 11, look like Christ. So verses 1 through 12, verse 14, or chapter 14, live and let live. Verses 13 through 23, love over liberty or limit your freedom. And the last principle, the last point, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11, look like Christ. Look like Christ. All right, let's take a look. 14.1. Live and let live. Let's see what Paul says. He says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, that word disputable matters means neutral areas, non-revealed truth areas. We know that the Bible has revealed truth in both morality and doctrinal stances. Those are non-negotiables. I just gave you some of the morality ones. The doctrinal ones, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is the God-man. He is God incarnate in the flesh. We don't pray to Mary. We don't pray to anyone else but Jesus. These are doctrinal truths. These are non-negotiables in our faith. The Trinity, non-negotiable in the faith. 
But these are disputable matters. These are matters in which you have an opinion that God's word does not speak on these. Not to great lengths. There's no great commands on it. The word accept in the Greek is proslambano. It means to move towards and to accept. To move towards and to bring close. So he says move toward and bring close without passing judgment on these matters. Don't divide the body on something you have a strong conviction or opinion on and the Bible is silent on it. It's baggage that we bring in. Now watch what he's going to say here. I'll give you something. Richard Baxter said this. He was quoting Augustine. He said, in the essentials, unity. Christ as our Savior, the atoning work of Christ on the cross for the only way a man's sins are forgiven. As far as essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Isn't that good? That's a good, good stance right there. In essentials, unity. We're all on the same page. We're all for the glory of Christ, not for the glory of ourselves. It's his mind, not ours. It's his will, not ours. It's his success and his glory, not ours. So in essentials, unity. Non-essentials, liberty. We're no longer under the law, but we're under the law of liberty, Paul's going to say. We've been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve now in newness of the spirit, not in oldness of the letter. So non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. In all things, charity. Now, I want you to see something here that's very interesting. Paul is going to talk about two believers. One has weak faith, one has strong faith. The person who has weak faith is the person who is the legalist. Now, legalism, you've heard the term, right? Legalism is going beyond what Scripture says and trying to impose your opinion on a certain stance that the Bible doesn't go there. The Pharisees were masters at this. The Bible said, do not work on the Sabbath, and they had some 300 plus laws on what it meant to work on the Sabbath. You can't move your chair in the dirt. You're plowing. You're unclean. You can't pluck a gray hair. It's work. You can't throw something up and catch it with the other hand. You can't catch it with the same hand. If you catch it with the other hand, it's work. And they went beyond Scripture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 6, do not go beyond what is written. That's legalism. When you try to impose a certain moral code or a law or a rule on someone that the Bible doesn't mention. And you see churches all over doing that. It's called a religion. You know what the name or the word religion means? It means to bind. The word religion means to bind, where they bind you to a certain moral code or a certain rule or regulation that the church has set up and not God. That's why Paul says we've been released from the law. That's why James talks about the the law of liberty. That's why Jesus says you will know the truth and the truth will what? It'll set you free. Well then Paul, wait a minute. Your gospel of grace here is you're preaching lawlessness. No, on the contrary. The person who's living to please Christ will be a model citizen. We looked at that in a Christian's relationship to government. He'll be a model neighbor. He'll love his enemies. So watch what Paul does here, verse 2. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. 
So legalism is not called spiritual strength according to Paul, is it? Legalism, meaning a person still holding to a certain dietary code in this instance in which Jesus Christ in Mark 7 says, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, it's what's come out. Because out of a man's mouth is the overflow of his heart. And then Mark records also in Matthew, in saying this, Jesus Christ deemed all foods clean. Now, once again, let's back up. What was the purpose of the law? He had 613 laws, 248 prohibitions, 365 commands. You had the Ten Commandments and 603 dietary laws, which, means, which meant they could eat certain foods and not eat certain foods. Hygienical laws, you could wear a certain type of clothing. If there's mold on your wall, you had to cut it out. If it didn't fix it, you had to take out the wall, tear down the house. Uh, if you had oozing sores and things like that, so you had hygienical laws. You had sacrificial laws, the different laws God put into place as far as what you had to do if you sinned, what type of animals you had to sacrifice, and moral laws. So hygienical, dietary, sacrificial, and moral law. When Jesus Christ came, because all those laws, everything that was given in the Old Testament were allegorical, metaphorical tools to educate the people on Jesus Christ and what he would do when he came. Does that make sense? In other words, if you stepped on a tombstone, you were unclean, you were outside the fellowship, and the only way that you could come back into the fellowship, into the presence of God's people, is to have someone represent you before God and offer up the proper sacrifice. Then you could come back in. All those laws and all those codes were to show you if you became unclean, if you defiled yourself... By breaking one of these laws that God put down, you are now separated from God and his people. Had to have a representative to come in. Jesus Christ came and said all those were illustrations and tools to teach you that a man is perpetually unclean because his heart is sinful. And I'm your high priest and I will represent you before God. And then by my sacrifice for your sin, I'll make you perpetually clean and your conscience cleansed forever. You see what I'm saying? That's the only purpose of the law. And then also to govern the people at that present time. So Jesus came and he said, all that gone. 1,500 years of tradition, cultural baggage, gone. You can eat shrimp. You can eat lobster. You can do whatever you want. And Paul's saying here, someone who still holds to those dietary codes, someone who goes beyond what Christ has said, that's spiritual weakness. He is the weak person. Watch this. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. So here's what he's saying. <clears throat> if I'm out with somebody, and they still hold to dietary codes, or let's say that they believe that uh, you're not supposed to dance as a Christian, or let's say that they believe that you're not supposed to work on a certain day, then I can't look down on him because he does not understand the law of liberty, that that's okay, that the Bible is silent on that. I can't look down in contempt at that person. But then that person who holds to that you can't dance and that's not right to do before God or you're not supposed to open your business up on Sunday 
cannot condemn and judge me and say, you're going to hell for doing that. You follow what I'm saying? You got two attitudes, they're both bad. The guy who understands liberty and understands grace and understands the Bible's silent, whether I can dance on Sunday or not, whether I can work on Sunday or not. I can't look down on the guy who holds to that and he can't judge me. You follow what I'm saying? Same thing, if you're sitting here and there's someone next to you that wants to wear a coat and tie on Sunday and you're wearing flip-flops and shorts and a t-shirt, you who are wearing flip-flops, shorts and a t-shirt cannot judge that person and condemn them. Or no, if you're wearing the flip-flops and the shorts, you can't look at the person wearing the suit saying, oh, that poor, poor fellow doesn't understand his liberty. And then that person wearing the suit can't look at that other person and condemn them. Here's why. Look what he says. It's because God has accepted him. And it's the same word as verse 1, where God has moved towards and accepted and brought close. So I can't take my opinions and impose them on other people on areas, neutral areas. Now hear me when I keep saying that. Neutral areas in the Bible. Both are right as far as holding to a certain code that they believe in their soul and their convictions as being pleasing to God and the person who does it. Two different attitudes, God has accepted them both. What do you think of that? See, I told you we're going to stir up some stuff. What about the way a person wears their hair? What about tattoos? What about piercings? What about alcohol? Can I go and drink wine as a Christian? Absolutely. The Bible says you have that liberty to do those things. The Bible is silent on those things. The Bible says not to get drunk, but it says nothing about not being able to drink. Even Paul tells Timothy to drink wine. And so the Bible's real clear as far as our liberty goes, because God is going to accept both mindsets. It just depends on what kind of conviction that you have. Look in verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Here's what he's saying. If you're in a restaurant, and you have a waiter, and this person next to you has a different waiter, then all of a sudden you start complaining about this person's waiter to the people that are being waited on. It says, well, that guy sure isn't giving you good service. I don't like the way that that guy is carrying those plates and delivering them at your table. The person sitting there saying, this person's my waiter, and I happen to like exactly what they're doing and how they're doing it. Who are you to judge this waiter because this waiter is my servant? Do you understand what he's saying? Who are you to judge someone else because that someone else answers to God, and God is going to be able to make him stand or fall? It's God he has to answer, not you. So we can't look down on someone who doesn't experience and doesn't fully accept the law of liberty and the person who has certain convictions and traditions and baggage cannot look and judge that person who does. Can you see why this is such an important text, especially in our church today? I've told you this story before and I did a little bit more research on it. In West Virginia, there was a church to where a dispute broke out over collection plates and how to pass them. Remember me telling you the story? 
And what happened were the deacons didn't like the way that the pastor wanted to have the collection plates passed out. We don't even do collection plate here. We got boxes. But the deacons wanted to start in the back and move forward. The pastor wanted them to start in the front and move back. Well, the teams started forming. And the people that were back in the pasture went against the deacons and their people. And they started getting in this squabble and started barking at each other. They took it out to the parking lot and they started fist fighting in the parking lot. True story. The neighbors got so upset they called the cops. They arrested a bunch of people, brought them to court, and they stood before a pagan judge who was a Jew. An orthodox Jewish judge. It was in the papers. And the Jewish judge looked at these men. And he said to them, you people are supposed to be a model of what a godly church or godly people are supposed to look like in this community. You are a disgrace. And he fined them all. And then he sensed them to have a police officer with his pistol and his billy club stand at the back of the church during their worship services. How's that? Non-disputable. Unrevealed truth areas, neutral areas, and these people are fighting over it because they got baggage and they've got convictions and opinions and mine is right. And that's what they fought over, if you think about it. Who's right? Isn't it? Man, when the Bible is silent on it, it's whatever your convictions are and make sure that you're doing it to please God. God is the judge. And what he's saying here in verse four is the reason that I am to flex as a Christian in these neutral areas is because I'm not the one on the throne. Isn't that right? You can't judge that person next to you. Only God does. And let me tell you what God's gonna judge. He's gonna judge the heart, not the wrapper. He's gonna judge what's on the inside. God knows your thoughts before they ever came to be. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 3, for it is the Lord who judges me, not y'all, to the church at Corinth. Keep going. How you doing? I told you. Stir it up. Come on. Verse 5. Watch this. One, and hey, if you're going to get mad at somebody, get mad at God and his word, not me. I'm just the messenger guy. I love my job. Verse 5, one man considers, now watch this, one man considers one day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. Circle that. I think he says it about five or six times. For he gives thanks to God, and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying that we Christians can be at different points and different levels of maturity in the church and still get along. Isn't that right? Some of you I know will refuse to go to a movie if it's R-rated. You'll only go to one that's G. Some of you have no problem going to R-rated movies. Who's right? Who's wrong? The person who's going to G and not R cannot condemn that person who is. And the person who's going to the R-rated movie cannot look down on the person who will only go to a G and say, oh, that poor, poor soul doesn't understand his liberty in Christ. We can't do that. 
Those may be convictions as far as what you have, but you cannot impose them on a person in a neutral area. Now, again, I'll take a little cul-de-sac here. If your brother sins, he's going directly against revealed truths of the Bible, shacked up with passionetta. You have to go down and sit him down and show him scripture. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, we are to judge those in the church on revealed truths. You follow me? We good? Am I making sense? We're talking neutral areas here. Neutral areas. What he says here, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day like. In the 60s of the L.A. Dodgers, Sandy Colfax. Remember him? Great pitcher. He would not pitch on Yom Kippur. He would not pitch on that day. Who was it? Uh, Chariots of Fire guy. Eric Little, he wouldn't run on a Sunday. Remember that guy? That's okay. If that's his conviction, we can't look down on him. But he can't judge if we decide to run. If you're out there running and you know that your neighbor doesn't like running or thinks it's sacrilege to run on Sunday, which would be our Sabbath in a sense as Christians. Sabbath is actually a Saturday. Okay? You can't go jogging past his window and wave and going, you poor schmo, I'm running on Sunday, right? And the guy inside the house can't look at him and say, oh, you're going to hell and judging him. I love this text. Paul just lays it out. He says, here's why we're at different levels and we can still get along. Because who are we serving? We can be at different levels with different convictions, different baggage, different mindset, and still be unified. Not uniform, but unified. Why? Because we're doing it for the Lord. As long as we're serving the Lord, as long as our motives are pure, that's okay, right? Isn't that what he's saying? One day is special, it's to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. He who abstains does so for the Lord. I remember we couldn't eat as a Catholic. We could not eat meat on Fridays. We always had fish. Anybody there? Even at the schools, right? They had fish. It was a bad deal to eat meat. I remember getting laughed at. That's okay. Um, there is a church in the Midwest. I won't tell you what it is, but, and this is true. They have a barber shop in the lobby of their church. And in order for you to become a member, your hair for the fellas has to be a certain length. When you get membership, you go to this barbershop in the church and they cut your hair. Guess what the standard is? Guess who they cut your hair according to? It's the pastor. Boy, you guys would be in trouble. (laughs) All right? Yeah. But you have to be uniformed, have the exact same haircut as the pastor to be a member of that church. Where, Where is that haircut and verse in the Bible? I don't see it. You follow what I'm saying? It's not in there. Why do they do that? Have you ever heard fundamentals, too much mental, not enough fun? That kind of attitude. Remember now, this is neutral areas. Okay? Verse 7, for none of us lived to himself alone. None of us died to himself alone. We're not to be independent, but interdependent. We're to be unified, not uniformed. We're all to be looking and seeking the glory of Jesus Christ and exaltation of his name, right? It's all about him, not about us. 
It's not about superimposing your beliefs and your convictions on someone else where the Bible is silent on. Let's all get along. We're interdependent with each other. That's why the Bible says over 20 times, one another, one another. Plus, you got to watch out. I mean, in the church, I, I can spend the next two hours on, on situations and circumstances, but the best way I can put it is an illustration. Who here has ever dove hunted? You ever dove hunt? You get a line of guys when you're dove hunting, right? You maybe get about five, ten guys, and you're all walking in a line trying to flush the birds out. Maybe you have a dog out there. When you shoot your gun when you're dove hunting, what do you need to make sure of? Paul Miller. When you're shooting your gun, because it's real easy, a bird goes across your path, what do you got to make sure before you pull that trigger? You don't shoot the guy next to you. That's the same thing in the church. You got to make sure what you're doing, you're not going to go shoot the guy or the gal next to you. Whatever your decisions are. Listen, your freedom in the church can bring pain and cause pain to the body of Christ. Right? We're interdependent. We're not independent. We've got to make sure we watch. Keep going. Verse 8, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. We're trying to do what we do as Christians to please God, not each other. We live for the pleasure of God, not for ourselves and not for others. You know why? Verse 9, for this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. The reason we live to please Christ and not the people next to us is because the person next to you didn't die for you. See what he says? It's Christ who died for you. It's Christ who hung on the cross and took the burden and the penalty and the wrath of God for you and I's sin. That's who we're to live to please. And the way he's saying it's pleasing to God is you've got two attitudes and they're both accepted by God and God loves the weak one in the faith and the strong one in the faith. The one who's still holding to these convictions and this baggage and the one who understands the law of liberty and just says, I'm good. He says God is the one that we're trying to please because look, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He's worthy of praise. Look at you then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? Why are you playing God, he says? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. As it is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That word judgment seat there is the bema seat. It is the reward seat that you will stand before God. You will not have to answer for the sin that you committed because all that is white as snow. Like he says to Israel in the Old Testament, he says, come, let us reason together. Though your sin may be crimson, it'll be white as woe, white as wool. Though it may be, um, uh, oh, what is it? No, I forget it. See, there's too much stuff floating around in there. They'll be as red as scarlet. It'll be white as snow. And the idea is he's going to wash you clean. Isaiah 61.10 says you will stand before God naked. And he will clothe you with garments of salvation. And he will wrap a robe of righteousness around you. So we live to please him. We will stand before the reward seat. My good and faithful servant, Jim Caesar. This is what you've done. You go take charge of ten cities. 
Chris Larson, my good and faithful servant. You've done well. You go take charge of five cities and so on and so forth. Okay? Now, we could stop and go home right there, couldn't we? We got all these liberties in Christ. Bernard says we can drink. We can go get tattoos. We can get pierced. We can wear flip-flops and shorts and t-shirts. And we can do all these things. I can run on Sundays. I can dance. We could go home right here and now, right? First principle, live and let live. You've got liberty in Christ. You are no longer under law. You've been released. But we got to get to the next text and the next principle, don't we? We've got liberties, but we have to limit our liberties if it hurts our brother next to us. Isn't that right? Bernard, you said I can drink. Absolutely. But if you drink in public and it brings pain and causes a black eye to the body, then you're not acting in love. You can't take a number two and replace it for a number ten. The law of love always has to supersede the law of liberty. You follow me? Me as a pastor, I can drink. The Bible says I can drink. It says not to get drunk. But I'm not going to drink, and we have this rule for our staff, out in public. Because it could cause harm. It could cause pain to the body. If you want to go home and after you mow the lawn, go in your house and drink your cold beer, that's between you and God. There's nothing biblically that says you can't do that. But if you're out there on your front porch drinking a six-pack and you're trying to witness to the guy next door and he knows you're a Christian and you're out there getting drunk and shooting fireworks off into his yard and causing fires, (laughs) that's not a good deal. You follow what I'm saying? Are you getting the idea of what Paul's saying here? Watch the next text. I just got to get crazy. Are you texting questions? Are we getting good questions? All right, let's take a look. Principle number two, okay? Love over liberty. Limit your liberty. Verse 13, therefore, in light of what he just said, we've got all these liberties. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. Be the older brother. How many of you are older brothers or older sisters in here? Okay? I was an older brother. I had two younger brothers. There's twins. Now, you're driving along, and there's a ruckus in the back seat. Who gets blamed? The older brother, the older sister. What do your parents say to you? How many times you hear it? You know better. You're the older brother. You're the older sister. This is what Paul's going to say here. You know better. You're the older brother. You're the older sister. If this person is still growing in their faith and strengthening, because what's the idea? What's, what's the purpose as Christians, telos, to be brought to a designated end. God is moving you to maturity, right? To be strong in the faith, to understand the law of liberty and grace. He says, you be the older brother. Don't put a stumbling block or an obstacle in your brother's way. If you know your brother's an Orthodox Jew and he still holds some foods to be unclean, don't take him to Red Lobster, <laughs> right? If he says, where you want to eat, don't go to Red Lobster, right? I think I told you this story before. I was in, the, I was in um, Outback Steakhouse in Dallas. And we were doing a radio show at the time. And one of the guys who was behind the booth, the sound guy, was in there. He came up. I didn't see him in there. But he came up. And they had just brought my food out. Steak and lobster. And this dude walked by. And he went white. He got horrified. He goes, you can't eat that. 
You're a Christian. That's unclean. Ruined my meal. But I'm sitting there looking at this guy, and there was a couple other people with me, and so I had to kind of sit down and work through some of the scriptures. But he was horrified that I was eating lobster. Because in his mind, he believed it was unclean. Now, the Bible says it's not unclean. The Bible says I'm fine eating it. But it's freaking him out. Okay, so he left, and I ate it. But let's say I go take that guy out to lunch. I'm not going to bring him to Outback or Red Lobster and eat the lobster. You follow what I'm saying? If I've got someone that comes over my house and I want to drink a glass of wine and I know a person has a problem with that, I'm not going to drink a glass of wine. I'm not going to try to put a stumbling block in a person's path. I'm going to go with the law of love over the law of liberty. Do I have the right to do that? Absolutely. Is there a chance I can hurt my brother? Yes, and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. When we were in Russia, we go on Russian trips, the ladies could not wear any makeup at church. They had to wear head coverings. It's 30 below, and they have to wear dresses because they wouldn't let them wear pants in church. You couldn't smile in church. The ladies couldn't talk. And so when we went there, the ladies didn't wear makeup. They put head coverings on. They wore dresses, but they put pants underneath their dresses so the legs wouldn't freeze. But we, want to, we didn't want to put a stumbling block in their path. We were trying to reach them and bring them along to maturity. See, because what happens is if you don't have sound doctrine being preached, then as a church, you've got to make up a bunch of rules. You follow me? You've got to go beyond what the Bible says. And so we're trying to reach them, and we're trying to bring about doctrinal truth and development. And so... Like Paul says, to one under the law, I become like one under the law. To the Gentiles, I become like a Gentile. To the free Greek, I become like a free Greek. I become all things to all people for the sake of Christ. Why? Because that brother is more important than me exercising my liberty. I've got to be evangelistic. I've got to flex in these neutral areas. So far, so good? See what he's saying? Now, look what he does in verse 14. He shifts to personal examples. He uses the word I in verse 14. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But he who thinks something is unclean, to him it's unclean. If I know a brother has a problem with gambling, am I going to go in and buy a lottery ticket? Can I buy a lottery ticket? Absolutely. Does the Bible say anything about gambling? Zero. It's silent tells you to be a good steward of your money we got some guys in this church that go around and they play poker they have poker nights are they being a good steward of their money well if they take 15 bucks that they were going to spend on a movie and go play poker with as entertainment i don't have a problem with that but if they go over someone's house to play poker and that person's roommate who happens to be there has a problem with gambling then they shouldn't do it Move it to another house. Is that, you follow what I'm saying? You got the ability, you've got the liberty to do it, but make sure you're not hurting somebody. Well, at what point do you exercise your liberty and it's the other person's problem? Okay? For instance, I'll, I'll use me as a personal example. Every one of us here probably came from different backgrounds, different churches with different baggage. Okay? If I dressed like every one of you wanted me to, to try to please you, I'd have shorts and flip-flops on 
down below. I'd have a shirt, tie, and a coat above. I'd have a Pope hat, maybe one of those white collared shirts like a priest, and a scepter, right? Because I'm trying to please everybody. I almost thought about doing it, but I didn't want to do it because it'd be disrespectful to God. But you follow what I'm saying? So at what point do I have to say to myself, okay, I'm going to exercise my law of liberty. I'm going to try to make sure I'm not hurting somebody intentionally. And there's the key word, intentionally. Again, if you believe in jogging on Sunday and you know your neighbor doesn't, don't go jog in front of the window or go dancing in front of them. Don't flaunt it. Okay, but at some point you have to say, okay, let's try to bring this person along to maturity because the Bible talks of a person that hasn't understood fully the law of liberty as weak in their faith, weak spiritually. It's pretty strong, I know, but this is what Paul says. Verse 15, if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother from whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of of evil. Okay, so personal experiences. You know, if I know that my neighbor, and I personally don't have a problem with trick-or-treating, okay, on Halloween, I personally have no problem with a Christmas tree. I have one in my house. Okay, I don't worship trees, and I don't worship the devil on Halloween, but I don't want my kids to be weird. (laughs) I mean, you just, you ostracize them in school. Okay, but you educate your children, that's another message for another day, on what those holidays are and to make sure that they understand. But I'm not going to go bring my kids to my neighbor who's got a problem with trick-or-treating and go knock on their door and go, trick-or-treat. See, because that would hurt them. You understand? Now here's why. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know what he's saying here? This is what's amazing. He's looking at the church as an expression of the kingdom of God. That's huge what he's saying here. He's calling the church the kingdom of God. The church, beloved, is supposed to be a foretaste of kingdom divine. The church is supposed to be an example of the red man, the yellow man, the black man, the white man, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, all loving each other in unity, not uniformity, to where people look at us as a church and go, I want in. This is what the kingdom's going to look like when Jesus Christ comes to this planet. All different peoples with all different looks. And all different mindsets, all loving each other for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord have mercy. Can we not have that here? And we're living in a town, and I don't want to go too much off of it, but it's amazing to me that everybody has, I don't want to use absolutes, a lot of people have what their mindset or what their idea of a Christian is supposed to look like, smell like, walk like, talk like. What a pastor is supposed to look like, smell like, walk like, talk like. They have these mindsets, and boy, you better fit and squeeze into that mold, or they're going to squeeze you into that mold, and if not, you're blackballed. You're one of them. It's the most unbelievable thing I've ever seen. That's why I love this text. I've been pumped to preach this text for the last three weeks. I had to do a break last week just to calm myself down. (laughs) But you can see what Paul's saying. You see the problem they had 2,000 years ago. We don't have it today. It's nuts. 
Quit focusing in on what your opinions are and what you traditionally and culturally think is right for a Christian to do or a pastor to do, and you give glory to Jesus Christ. You sit and you check and examine yourself. There's a church in Dallas. I think it's one of the best churches out there. It's called The Village. Matt Chandler's the pastor. You ever get a chance, look, at him, look him up on, uh, on the internet and download some of his messages. But uh, they had to go to six services. There were so many people coming to their church. They would have to shut the doors and send people away. And he had, uh, like every church, one of the greatest areas you have a problem in is music. I don't think there's a week that goes by where I don't get complaints about the music. Now, I haven't lately, so you guys are doing awesome. But the hardest thing as far as worship goes, you got four different generations sitting out here at one time. Four different generations that have emotional linkage and connection to different songs as you grew up, right? I mean, we had some great hymns. How many of you love the hymns this morning, right? Probably more the older folks, right? And the younger folks going, I never heard it. But I love the older hymns. I love the theology in it. I love the doctrine. But we've got a worship team, Bucky and the gang, I mean, they rock the place, right? And how many of y'all like that? Yeah, see, woo. So we've got all different kinds of music. Well, he was the same way. All different kinds of people coming up complaining. I loved it. This 75-year-old elder stood up in front of the whole church, and he said, I am sick and tired of you people complaining about the music. Do you think I like the music? And they play pretty, pretty edgy contemporary. You know, they're, they're trying to rock the place. He goes, you think I like this music? No. He says, I like the hymns. I like the old music. He says, but you know something? It ain't about me. It's not about me. It's about this next generation that's coming up that we got to reach for Christ. It's about giving glory to Jesus. He says, shut up. And he got off the stage. That's some guts. But you get the point, Right? And so what we try to do, we give the band a break. We get Larry up there and the Lariettes. I don't know what else we want to call them. And they bring you some great hymns. We try on the contemporary days to, to always put a hymn in on the end. Because there is something about coming in here on Sunday morning and getting all the junk of the world off you and just kind of connecting back with God and maybe your roots. So we try to do that. But if we don't hit it, you know, don't get upset. Just disconnect or... Or go somewhere else, or maybe come in with an iPod and, and do your hymns, whatever you need to do. Right? But, but don't, don't break up the church. Don't divide the body. And because it's God that we're trying to please, right? He says, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace, to mutual edification. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for men to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. Verse 21, it is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between you and God. Isn't that good? Don't try to push it on someone else next to you. I was talking to Chris. We, he's got a friend that's, that's visiting in from uh, Switzerland, right? And when they have potlucks, they all bring wine. It's a party. Man, we did that here. We'd get, wrote, we'd get written up in the paper, okay? But that's what they do, and they enjoy each other's company. They enjoy some fellowship. How many of you would like for us to do that here? Don't raise your hand. 
<laughs> right? So whatever you believe, whatever your convictions are in these neutral areas, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. I like that. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that does does not come from faith is sin. So make sure your convictions are right, your heart is right. Make sure you're doing it for the right reason, okay? Now here's the last section. And basically what he's saying, grow up, move to maturity. The weaker guy should wise up. It's gonna take time. Limit your freedom form. You've got an obligation because Christ died for you, Okay? Don't go against your conscience. Honor Christ. Here's the last principle. Look like Christ. Christ is our example. These next 11 verses, I like it. It's real simple. I'll sum them up for you. Jesus Christ is going to talk about him taking a Gentile people unto himself. Jesus Christ is our example. Jesus Christ loved these Gentiles who had different opinions and mindsets than he had. These Gentile people who had different opinions, they had different laws that they went by. They were disgusting people according to the Jews. They were not to even associate with them. They weren't even to go into their house. Remember in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, Peter goes into his house and he says, you know it's against our law for me even to be standing in a Gentile's house, but I'm here. And it says here, Jesus took these unlovable people, these people of different opinions, different mindsets, different cultural traditions and baggage, and he loved them. And we're to do the same. If that person doesn't see things the same way you do in this church, you love them anyway in these neutral areas. That's what makes it fun. Can you imagine if we all came in here looking the same, same haircut, same dress, boring, Look at this, 51. We are strong, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. The reason we have a Bible is to build you up and to strengthen you to be like Christ, right? Because face it, it ain't easy. And I say that, it ain't easy. It isn't easy loving the person next to you that's unlovable. You need the power of the Holy Spirit, don't you? You need this book running through you. Everything that was written was written to teach us that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we may have a certainty of things to come. Verse five, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. So that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is our main goal here, people? What is our main goal? It's to bring glory to Jesus Christ in unity, to be a foretaste of kingdom divine. They should see telos and go, man, I want to be part of that church. You guys have all different types of people, the old, the young, the rich, the poor, educated, uneducated, and y'all love each other. Y'all get along. Accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth to confirm the promise made to the patriarch so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy as it is written. And again, Paul never makes a point without bringing up Old Testament scripture. He brings in four verses. David, Samuel, Moses, Isaiah. 
talks about how the Gentiles are going to be included in the kingdom. So verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of his Holy Spirit. Isn't that good? So what did we learn? Live and let live. You got liberties. Let the person live the way they want to in these neutral areas. Live and let live. But love over liberty. Limit your freedom. If, it's, if there's a chance that you're going to cause pain in this body or bring a black eye to the body of Christ, don't do it. Take it to your house. And then look like Christ. What a great example. He loved a people unconditionally. Love them right where they were. He never tried to change anybody, did he? Zacchaeus, come on. You filthy tax collector, you bomb. We're going to eat at your house tonight. He's sitting in Matthew's house with all the scum of the earth around having a party with him. And the Pharisees wouldn't even go in. They looked at him and despised him. He loved them right where they are and we're to love each other right where we are. Amen? Because we're not sitting on the throne. Jesus is. I'm done. Any questions? <laughs> I told you we were going to stir it up. None? We good? Computer not working? What about the body as a temple verse and tattoo and piercings? The Old Testament says that you weren't to tattoo your body to pierce. The main reason God gave them that command is because that's what the pagans would do to worship their gods. Remember Elijah, Mount Carmel, puts up a sacrifice, says, you call to Baal, and I'll call to Yahweh. And whoever comes and burns up the sacrifice, he is God, and we will follow that God. He said, you go first. So they go first, and they're chanting, and he starts to taunt them. Yell a little louder. Maybe he's on vacation. He says, maybe he's covering his feet, which means he's going to the bathroom. Elijah's mocking him. And it says they started piercing themselves and cutting themselves. So in the Old Testament, God forbade it because it would pull them into idol worship or doing the same things that the people who worship idols and false gods did in that time. Remember now, Old Testament law, they were children. Okay, how do you govern a child? Do this. No, I'm gonna hit you with a stick. Okay, right? You govern them with fear. The Old Testament law was you were a child. New Testament grace is you've been bar mitzvahed. You're a son now, okay? Now we serve out of an obligation, and so my personal opinion, again, sure, your body's a temple. Do I like tattoos? I don't wear tattoos. I don't like them because they're permanent. <laughs> You're there. You know, you get crazy gals and guys when they're young and they get a bunch of tattoos and then they're moms and you're seeing this mom with five kids and then she's all tatted up and it just kind of, to me, my opinion, kind of looks funny. But I can't, I can't impose it on someone else because, again, the Old Testament piercing the tattoos God prevented so they wouldn't go worship the idols and get sucked in. My wife has pierced ears. How many ladies here don't have pierced ears? Every one of you have pierced ears. Does that mean you're going to worship the pierced ear God or whatever? No. You follow what I'm saying? It's an issue of the heart. My opinion. My opinion, okay? Don't go home and say, the pastor said I can get a tattoo. Come on. <laughs> Same thing with the drinking thing here, folks. Don't be looking at someone going, I'm buying, come on. 
Okay, can a Christian drink? Yes. Should a Christian drink in public? I say no. Why take the chance of someone looking at you and you blowing your testimony? Okay, my opinion. What else we got? Was the wine Paul told Timothy to use for his stomach alcoholic wine? And if so, what percent alcohol was it? Now, some of you good old Baptists in here, um, you were taught that new wine was grape juice, that they did not drink alcoholic wine. Yes, they did. I'm sorry. The Old Testament says that the heart, heart makes, wine makes the heart glad. Okay, the Bible doesn't say not to drink wine. It just says don't get drunk on wine. Jesus Christ's first miracle, what was it? Changed the water into wine. It wasn't grape juice. They didn't go up and said, you saved the best grape juice for the last. Okay, you know, we laugh at that, but you know, some people believe that and that's kind of sad, but I mean, the Bible, take the Bible what it is. They drank wine at every meal. Primarily, they mixed it with water to purify the water. That was the main purpose that they drank wine just about at every meal because they didn't have purification processes for wines. And most of the time they pull wine out of cisterns, stagnant water. So they put some alcohol in it to kill whatever was in there so they could drink the water. Okay, but it was alcoholic. Don't know what percentage of alcohol it was, but it wasn't grape juice. Okay, that's real clear as far as scripture goes. Next, we having fun? Say, I love this texting stuff. Unless we get a question I can't answer, and then we got to go to the next one. Uh, what do you do when the weak brother manipulates acting like he stumbled continually by his issues and gossips and whines to control the church? Next question, please. <laughs> no. <laughs> um... Most of these kind of situations, you got to take one by one, whatever the situation is. And we've got a lot of people, there's a lot of backbiting in the church and gossiping. You've always heard that Christians way of gossip is prayer requests. You know, we got to pray for Tracy. Oh, really? What's wrong? Well, let me tell you. And then they go off into it. Uh, Or, you know, we had someone come over my house one time and we got a wine rack. We've got a bunch of wine in a wine rack. Now it's all got dust on it because we really don't drink that much wine. But now the gossip went out. Oh my gosh, he's got all this wine to do the boozer. <laughs> I mean, at some point, you have to just kind of live your life, pray for that person, don't perpetuate the gossip. Once again, if somebody's saying something bad about you, you go right to them. If you hear something about someone, you go right to them. If someone comes to try to gossip to me, the first question I ask is stop. Have you talked to that person first? Okay? Because again, what happens is you start dividing the body. I can't believe what they were doing the other night. I can't. That's between you and God, okay? That's a rough over answer, but it's the best I can do because we got to quit. Well, let me do one more. How do you balance liberty with hypocrisy and deceiving our brothers? Good question. Okay, again, what does Paul say? And the neutral areas, the neutral areas, meaning the areas that the Bible does not speak on unrevealed areas we understand revealed truth right morality and doctrinal truth all of us are hypocrites amen a lot of people say i don't want to go to that church there's hypocrites well come on there's room for one more (laughs) right because none of us none of us in here do everything we say we're going to do how many of you do this hey i'll call you next week we'll get some lunch did you call the person hypocrite Right? You follow what I'm saying? 
So just make sure, like Peter says, make sure that you live your life worthy to praise God. Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and give glory to God on the day he appears. Try to walk the walk if you're talking the talk. And if you blow it, own it. That to me is my biggest pet peeve. I blow it all the time and I'm going to own it. I can't stand someone who doesn't say they're sorry. Well, when they blow it, they don't own it right? If you mess up and you own it, there's a whole lot more grace and hem hawing around. We had a president who did that. Just own it. There's a lot more forgiveness than sitting there trying to make excuses and hem hawing around. We're all going to mess up, okay? If it's a neutral area and you're doing it, there's no hypocrisy there. If you're flaunting it and you're purposely hurting another person, there's some hypocrisy there because you're not acting in love, Okay? If it's a revealed area, morality and doctrinal wise, and you hold to one thing, Paul had to get on Peter for that. Peter was eating at the pork and shack with some Gentiles, and the Jewish brothers came, and Peter ducked out the back, and then came back around and said, hey, fellas, what's up? What are you guys doing here? Like he wasn't doing anything. Paul says he rebuked him publicly to his face. That's hypocrisy, Okay. When you're trying to look like something and you duck around the back. Good, good questions. We got more, we got more? Well, we can hit them next week. Okay? So what do you think? Good text. Good text, yep. Tough. This is what we're going to do now. Okay, we, uh, again, we did this.